and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Throughout August, we've been showcasing some of the best interviews from Series 1. This week, I'm talking to Dr Rebecca Rosen, a GP in London and senior fellow at health think tank, the Nuffield Trust, about continuity of care, the evidence to support it and steps practices can take to embed continuity in the way that they work. This interview was recorded in October 2021. Since we recorded this interview, we've written quite a lot about continuity of care on GP Online. The House of Commons Health and Social Care Committee is currently running an inquiry into the future of general practice and the benefits of continuity of care and what the NHS can do to promote continuity have been one of the themes running through nearly all of the evidence sessions. There was one particular session specifically devoted to continuity and Dr Rosen gave evidence to the committee about the work she's done in her practice, which is one of the things she talks about in the interview coming up. Since then, the RCGP has also stepped up efforts to promote what it calls relationship-based care and highlight its importance in general practice. The college has produced a new report at what's needed to help practices deliver relationship-based care and continuity. The report argues that continuity and relationship-based care should become a national priority in primary care, with funding and support for practices to deliver changes such as longer consultations, multidisciplinary team working and a focus of continuity in appointments and triage processes. I've put a link to that in the description for this episode. I just thought those were quite interesting things to think about because much of what we're talking about in this podcast with Rebecca are things that are kind of a precursor to some of the things that's happened more recently. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Rebecca Rosen, who's a GP partner at Valentine Health PMS in South East London and senior fellow at the Nuffield Trust, an independent health think tank which aims to provide evidence-based research and policy analysis. Rebecca's policy interests include integrated care, new organisational models for general practice and commissioning. Within her practice, she leads work to improve continuity and quality of care for people with chronic and complex ill health. And continuity of care is what we're going to discuss today. Thanks so much for joining us, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. I'm sure most GPs listening to this will understand um, the importance of continuity of care. But could you explain just a little bit more about why it is so important for both GPs and for patients? Yes. So there's different forms of continuity. We talk about informational continuity where a GP can access the person's medical record and look back at that. We talk about relational continuity, and that's the thing that I really focus on, which is where a a patient and a a clinician get to know each other over time. And you may not see that person every time. There may be a time when it's better to see somebody else in the practice if they're an expert on eczema and you've got a skin problem and then you go back to your usual GP. But what it does is it helps to build up trust and it helps to build up knowledge of each other. And the reason that's important is because when I know my continuity patients, the ones who I've really seen over many years, firstly, I know if they come back with a problem that they've had in the past, I can remember whether they've had investigation. I know if there's some kind of social or personal factor that's triggering the symptoms, and I can perhaps talk to them about that rather than treating with medication. So, for example, low back pain may flare up if people have got family problems or depression. It's the kind of knowledge that you keep in your head. And also, it's just fun. Personally, I really love seeing my continuity patients who I know well and ask about their family, their pets, their holiday, whatever. It's that kind of contact that I think both me and the patients 
enjoyed rather than just a purely kind of transactional. But there is also very good research evidence that, or there's there's reasonable research evidence, I should say, that continuity um, reduces mortality for certain conditions, reduces emergency hospital admissions for people over 65, um, improves patient satisfaction, increases trust. So there's a good research base as well. I've spoken to many GPs over the years and nearly all of them tell me that the reason they become a GP is because of that relationship-based care that you have in general practice. But obviously maintaining continuity of care has has been recognised as a bit of a challenge in recent years, hasn't it? Practices have become bigger over the last decade. There's less of them. There's less partners, less GPs overall. Does that make it harder to deliver continuity of care? It certainly can do. But um, what we've done in my practice is acknowledge that lots of the doctors here are part time. We've acknowledged that um, actually not all of our patients want continuity. So we've really tried to focus on getting continuity where patients want it and also where the clinicians and the practice team think that they will benefit from it. I'm part-time myself. I've only ever done two days a week in general practice, but I separate them during the week. If I need to see somebody again to follow up, it's very rare that a three-day wait is too much. If it is too much, I hand over to somebody in my micro team who I will explain about the patient. I'll tell them what to expect, what to look for, so we work collaboratively together. But really, most of the time, being there twice a week is quite enough for me to be able to maintain that continuity where it's needed. And then we also, as I I mentioned, have micro teams, small groups of clinicians. So in mine, there are four doctors, three of whom are part time. And we know each other's complicated patients. I know that you've done a lot of work in your practice to, to build continuity of care into the way that your team works. Could you talk a little bit through some of the steps you went through to do this and how you feel they've worked? Yes. So I was lucky enough to win an award from the Health Foundation, along with five other practices, to try and promote continuity of care. In the four other practices, they tried to do it for everybody. We just focused specifically on patients who had previously been healthy, low users of services and then who suddenly started coming a bit more. So we started off with quite a lot of analysis of patterns of uh, attendance by our patients to see which of them were suddenly started coming a bit more, suggesting that they might have an acute illness or some kind of emerging problem that we needed to focus on and sort out. And we used data analysis to catch those people. We asked their name GP to check their notes and see if something was going on, whether they thought continuity would be useful we tagged the notes and then we did all kinds of things. We did um, advertising campaigns for our patients to understand. We put slides in the, in the waiting room to explain why continuity could be important, explain to them how they could ask for continuity. We gave scripts to our receptionists so that where they tried to book in a patient whose notes were tagged, they had a little script that they could use to encourage them maybe to wait a couple of days longer than they had expected to to see their usual doctor. We made visiting cards so that if I saw a patient who I thought needed continuity, I would give them a visiting card which said which days of the week I worked. And we had lots of practice development meetings. So every four months, we have a half-day internal practice development meeting. And we focus several of those for people to explain what they were concerned about, 
ask how things would work, agree processes. So it was a long-term project. It was about changing the culture of the practice. You've mentioned micro teams. Do they involve other healthcare professionals as well as GPs or is it just a group of GPs? So we have a nurse linked to each micro team. Um, There have been times when we've had a paramedic or a pharmacist, but actually we've got four micro teams in the practice and we don't have four paramedics and we don't have four pharmacists. So we have tried to work out how they can bring their concerns about complicated patients to the micro team. And actually what we, because it's been a whole organisational development, if they find a complicated patient that they're concerned about, they will talk to that person's main GP. They'll say, do you know, this person seems to be coming in a lot. We don't, it looks like nobody's really got a handle on what's going on. And their name GP will then decide, yep, I'm going to tag that person's notes so that they, the receptionist know to promote continuity. And it may be that somebody's unwell for a while and then they have an investigation, they have a treatment, they're better, they're absolutely fine. We can untag the notes as well. You don't necessarily have to be tagged to have continuity. But by the time they've gone through our system, actually patients kind of like it. And we think we had COVID came and we couldn't really research this, but we think that actually they, they then know how to get it in future. Normally, would a patient, um, if they've been tagged, would they normally come back and just see their named GP unless it happened to be a day their named GP wasn't and then they'd see one of the other GPs in the micro team? So we've got some data which is available in our Final Health Foundation report. It's a really long thing to um, improve the continuity in your practice. But what we did show was that over the course of the 18 months that we were doing the project, Continuity with the name GP increased um, a bit and continuity with the micro team increased quite a lot more. So we made progress. We still have a way to go. COVID disrupted it, although we didn't completely lose it through COVID. So when we rearranged our appointment system, we still used the techniques that we had to promote continuity. But it's an it's a never ending journey. Doctors go, new doctors come. We've just had three trainees and I've done a lunchtime session with them about how the practice thinks about continuity. So it's something that's got to constantly be reinforced. What was patients reaction to it? How did they feel about it? Did they notice it and did they appreciate what you were trying to do? So some did. Evaluation of patient views on on the project took place right at the start of COVID. So it was last March, April, May. So we got some feedback. And amongst those who um, replied to our survey, I think it was 78% reported that they had found it easier to see the doctor of their choice. So are there any downsides to continuity of care? One thing that's actually really important to say, so we found this in our research and it came out of our project Every now and again, people, you know, felt really um, drained by a continuity patient, which would, which sometimes people would class as heart sink. People who they put a, a lot of effort into trying to sort out their problems, and it, you know, it got difficult in various ways, and that can be really demoralising. There is a, a side of this where actually sometimes you've got to go and get help from a colleague and say, "I've, I've really tried. I'm not getting anywhere. I think you need to take over." But overall, I think the balance of evidence is is strongly that it gives people a lot more pleasure than it does pain. Based on your experience and what you know from the other projects that were part of this Health Foundation research, do you think 
if practices wanted to do more work around continuity of care, do you think focusing on one particular group like you have or trying to do it across the whole practice, what would you recommend would be the best way to go about it? I think it really depends on your practice. I have to think, I think you have to think through what is your capacity to give continuity. If you've got, if you're quite a small practice with several part-time GPs and um, you're not organised as micro teams, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. You might think about making yourselves, you know, organising each other into, into micro teams so that you can do it. I think the other thing that is really important is that not everybody wants it now. So there are quite a lot of patients that actually only come in once or twice a year. For them, that relationship with their GP really may not be of particular significance. So I think it's hard to force it on people. Um, There are some practices that I've come across who are absolutely rigid um, in asking patients to see their usual GP. I think in my own practice, um, patients would get really fed up if there was no particular reason for them to to know the doctor that saw them. I would advocate being flexible. One of the other um, lead GPs in the Health Foundation projects disagreed with me fiercely and said everybody should try so it's a you know it's about the philosophy of your practice it's about the patients you serve and it's about the problems they're coming with I would personally argue that it's better to concentrate your continuity into a subgroup of patients than to just say we can't do it the other thing to remember is it's also related to practice size so my practice is massive we've got 27,000 patients and uh, 13 uh, GPs Uh, If you're in a small rural practice, not much list turnover, only two or maybe three GPs, they will all know you anyway. You you inevitably know them. So it is it is quite context specific. So how do you go about measuring continuity of care? There are several different measures. The most simple is the proportion of time you see the doctor that knows you best. Uh, It might be the named doctor in the corner of your EMIS medical record screen. It might be the person that you think of as your doctor, even if it's not your named doctor. But if, if you have X number of contacts in a year, what proportion of them were with the same doctor? Keeping a track on that, I think, would be really useful. Um, I learned last week that in Scotland, that is actually incentivised through their contract, that it's one of the performance measures that they have to um, report on. So I think something like that to really drive us a bit harder to, to think about it. You did touch on the pandemic. How do you think that has impacted on continuity of care in terms of your experiences of it? Have you managed to keep things going as well or do you think it's sort of set you back a bit? That's a really good question. So um, I think that the switch to remote consulting in general practice that's happened with the pandemic doesn't necessarily need to disrupt continuity. As I said, we we swapped from people walking into the clinic and booking in person to telephone, a lot of telephone triage, but we still preserved our processes for getting patients to either their own doctor or their, their microteam doctor. And um, at Nuffield, we wrote a report about two or three years ago about how you blend access and continuity. And one of our conclusions was, if as you develop your patient pathways through the practice, as you develop your processes for triaging patients and allocating them, never forget continuity. 
don't just think about get them to the first slot possible. Think about whether continuity would help them. And if you hardwire that into your design of how you run your practice, it doesn't really matter if it's remote or face to face. The tech in some ways is immaterial, you know, because I used to phone them before and I some of it is still phone phone consultation now. It's about how determined I think your receptionists are to encourage patients to wait to see the clinician who knows them. And it's about how committed your clinicians are in every contact to promote continuity. So I have a little patter when I see somebody who has seen four other doctors before they see me with the same problem. I say to them, do you know, I'm not your usual doctor, your usual doctor so-and-so. I really think you'd get better care if you stuck with one person and they go, oh, I know, but I don't know how to do that. And I just say to them, you, you, you have to be prepared to wait a day or two longer perhaps to see them. You tell the receptionist, the receptionist will help you do it. And they don't recognise necessarily that that's what they need to do. So through the um, practice development sessions and through the persistent work we've done in the practice to get clinicians to realise that they can enable continuity Do you think the introduction of primary care networks, they could help support practices to deliver continuity of care? So I've given this a lot of thought. I actually think that continuity is really vested in your own practice. My feeling is that PCNs can probably, and the R's roles, um, probably most of them are going to contribute in the more acute area. That said, pharmacists doing um, complex medication reviews is uh, so I've sat down with a couple uh, with our pharmacists on a couple of really complicated patients and we've worked through them together. But I think that the PCN hub type services are probably better focused on the minor illness end of things. I think the I think the real essence of general practice, the medical generalist, the long term relationship is rooted in that practice team. If practices feel that they want to do more to promote and improve continuity of care in their practice, what would you suggest would be a good place for them to start? So there's some really good resources from the um, Health Foundation Continuity Project. We were supported by the Royal College of GPs and they set up a social media group through a a medium called Basecamp. And it's like a community of practice that's linked through Basecamp. And I periodically get messages in through that group saying, tell me what to do. You know, how, how, how did you train your receptionists? And I send off our pictures of our little visiting cards. I send people our scripts. So I would say, you know, one thing is join that community of practice, harvest some of the resources, because there's five groups around the country who have been working really, really hard on this. And one thing to really say is that there is a continuity toolkit that has been produced by two of my colleagues from the Health Foundation programme. It is forensic in detail. It gives you a step by step by step guide. Uh, on how to do it because that's something that really would help people break down lots of small tasks that you need to do and um, work out how to enact it in their own practice that's it for this week thanks so much for listening this was the last of our summer trip through the interview archives we'll be back on the 9th of september with season three of talking general practice please do join us then 
In the meantime, you can keep up to date with the latest news affecting general practice and access clinical education and other resources on our website at gponline.com. 